Back in the mid-1980s when we were growing up, our dad got something called a personal computer. It was really exciting. For those of you who um, know about those things, it was called a TRS-80. Some of you may have even had one. And uh, pretty sharp for that period of time. It had a big TV-looking thing, very boxy, none of these flat screens like today. It was a big box with a monitor on the front. It had what was called a CPU, which made a lot of whirring sounds, and it had a little slot you could put what's called a a floppy disk in, which was pretty exciting. My dad and my brother Peter started tinkering around on it and and, uh, learning how to use it. And I looked over their shoulder a bit and, and tried to my hand at it as well. One of the things that we learned was you could, you could learn with the book that came along with it a programming language called BASIC. And one of the first assignments in the book, <clears throat> Learning BASIC, was to write a program, a simple program. It only contained two lines. And uh, my recollection, it was it went something like this. <clears throat> Line A, write, quote, Hi, my name is Rod, end quote. Next line, line B, go to A. <laughs> this was, you know, advanced computing. So uh, <clears throat> we, you write this program, and, and what happens once you make it go, it prints out the line you wanted it to print. Hi, my name is Rod. And then the program goes to the next line, which says go back to the first line. So it writes it out again. And then it goes to the next line and it says go back to the first line. So it writes it out again and again and again and again. And so the whole screen was scrolling. Hi, my name is Rod. Up and down and up and down and up and down the screen. Very, very exciting. That's about as far as my computing skills went. It was an endless loop. It was an endless loop. There was no stopping the loop unless you turn the computer off, unless you you force it to stop some other way. Brethren, I have a question for you. Is your life in an endless loop? Are you progressing? Are you going forward as we heard from Mr. Dawson a little while ago? Are you growing? Or are you going around in a circle? It can happen in a number of different ways. Some seemingly innocuous For some, things might be going pretty well. A job provides an income, food's on the table, everyone is healthy, no major problems, no major complaints, but just sort of in a rut. Maybe the laundry and the cooking and the cleaning and the taking care of the children and the diapers and the runny noses and the endless loop of activities We just get in a rut. For others, things might be a little harder or a lot harder. Money's tight. Debts are high. 
problems are piling up. And making it is a struggle. And you just can't get out of the endless loop of problems. For others, they might be fighting with depression. Feelings of despondency. That, that black dog that nips at your heels. Nothing seems to be working. And there seems to be no way out of some of the problems. There's a dark cloud and tremendous pressure and a, and a burden just to cope. Some of our people have to deal with that and face that. For others, there might be a sin that will just not go away. You know, it's the secret in the corner that no one else knows about. And it keeps coming back. And you feel guilty about it and you've got to overcome it and you do overcome it, but it comes back. It's an endless loop. Brethren, where are you? Be honest. You don't have to tell your neighbor next to you. You don't have to raise your hand. But where are you spiritually? Are you moving ahead in your life? Or are you stuck? And would you like to be unstuck? Second Peter chapter three and verse one. Second Peter chapter three and verse one has some interesting things for us to consider as we begin here. Second Peter chapter three verse one he says, Beloved, I now write to you this second time and both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder we need to be stirred. We need to be prodded. We need to be exhorted, as again Mr. Dawson mentioned in the sermonette, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Now he's talking about scoffers, those who who don't believe, those who say Christ is not coming back, his promises are not good. And we're in a different category. We are here because we believe what he says. However, in another sense, we can still fall into the same trap. All things continue as they have from the beginning. Maybe we don't think of it in history, but we might think of it in our life. That all things just keep going around in a circle. And I can't get out. I'd like to talk about that today. I'd like to talk about the need that each one of us have, in in different ways, perhaps, for a spiritual breakthrough. A spiritual breakthrough. Brethren, do you need a spiritual breakthrough? Are you satisfied with the momentum in your life, the forward progress, the growth? Or are you drifting? Are Are you coasting? Are you getting overwhelmed? Or even going in reverse. 
There are some very specific keys that can help us achieve a spiritual breakthrough in our life. Things that can help us get out of the endless loops we find ourselves in from time to time and experience a real breakthrough when we need it. Let's talk about that today. We can think of breakthroughs in in other realms, in technological sense perhaps, you know, where a new device or a new process is invented that totally upends the current technology, changes everything. The automobile, the airplane, you know, the computer, the TRS-80, personal computer, uh, nuclear technology, nanotechnology. The list goes on and on. A few years ago, you know, there there appeared a... Um, a commercial on TV about a special phone. And there were pictures of people who were holding this thing in their hand. They had kind of a glassy top on it, and they were doing this to it. Remember that? Just a few years ago, those of you who... Remember that? And they started talking about swiping. What do you swipe? Why do you need to swipe a cell phone? And guess what? It changed everything, right? Now we have all kinds of touch screens. Why? Because there was a breakthrough in technology. I can just about guarantee that each and every one of you have experienced significant breakthroughs in your life. How about the first time you learned to ride a bike? Do you remember what it felt like when you couldn't ride a bike? And how excited you were, oh, if I could just ride a bike like my brothers and sisters or my friends. But it looked so difficult, and it hurt so bad when you fell down, (laughs) especially on the gravel. But then you did it, and all of a sudden you were riding, and you felt like you could fly. What a feeling that was. And for any young people today who are Uh, still waiting to ride that bike, it's worth it, believe me. Keep at it. Going back further in your life, what about being a baby? You know, your parents worked with you and talked with you and held you and listened to you, and then one day the words came out, Mama! Dada! And they were so excited, it was a breakthrough. You know, one of our children, when, when... they were small, had begun to say some words but hadn't put a sentence together yet. And one day when their grandparents were visiting, my wife's parents, and we were enjoying spending time together, and and, uh, someone had brought some chocolates. I think Grandpa had brought some some chocolates, and it was uh, near him, and there were pictures of, it was a box of chocolates, and there was pictures of chocolates on the on the outside. And one of our <clears throat> children, won't tell you who, but one of our children walked up and pointed and said, I eat that. <laughs> wow, it's a breakthrough. All she needed was motivation, you know. <clears throat> oh, now you know it's at least one among three. So, but <laughs> We all have breakthroughs in our life. The moments that change everything. 
and suddenly our perspective is different and where we were limited in a certain way before, suddenly after what what was hard is now easy and we feel for a moment like we can conquer the world, like we have conquered the world. The book of Hebrews is very interesting in this light. One of the main reasons for the book, of course, was to establish that Jesus was the Messiah. But another reason, let's say, if we look at the book and we read the book for its being written, was to encourage the Jewish community in Jerusalem and the surrounding areas to not stagnate or fall away. To not be worn down by persecution and by time, perhaps written um, many, many years after Christ had died and been resurrected, but not yet by the time that uh, the temple had been destroyed because uh, certainly it seems like it would have been mentioned it, if, if it had been already. So we might be just, just a few years before 70 A.D. when the book of Hebrews was written. So decades had gone by and people were getting worn down because the things that had been promised had not yet happened. For whatever reason, people were getting lax. And the writer, most likely the Apostle Paul, challenged them to snap out of it. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 9, notice. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 9, he says, And having been perfected, he's breaking into the thought again of here of the Messiah, of Jesus. He, having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him, called by God as high priest according to the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing. There's something blocking the progress forward, he was saying. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. Paul was not saying this to berate them, but to challenge them. They had been called, their eyes had been opened, they had a great spiritual breakthrough when they were, when their eyes were opened. But something had happened along the way. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 32. He was reminding them, Remember what happened. Remember how you were illuminated. And think about that. <clears throat> Focus on it. Hebrews 10.32. He says, But recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings, partly while you were made a spectacle both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me in my chains. One, one of the several reasons that it, it certainly appears that Paul was the one who wrote the book of Hebrews, referring to his chains. And joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession of yourselves in heaven. In other words, they had, they had gone through some horrific things, difficult things, 
early in their spiritual life, but somehow they had lost momentum. Brethren, think about your calling. Think about the struggles and the challenges and the sufferings you have gone through. Maybe persecution from family or or friends, perhaps, but you did it because of this tremendous purpose that God opened your eyes to. Even if you grew up in the church or are growing up in the church now, maybe it's not a sudden truth that just comes on like a light bulb for you, but it's a gradual process through which you are surrendering yourself. And someday, either you've come to this point already or you will or hope to, you will have come to that point where you are conquered by God and you're ready. And that's your spiritual breakthrough. Even if you have to go against the grain, even if you have to suffer to stand up for the truth, even if you have to look odds, look odd among your friends or associates. Young people, think about other breakthroughs you've had, how God has helped you, even, even if you're not baptized yet. Maybe in school, figuring out certain things, a class that was difficult and you struggled and you strove and you got it. Maybe learning how to get along with siblings. That's a real miracle, isn't it? That's a real breakthrough. I know, I had them. Maybe learning a skill in music or sports that, that, that takes hard work and it takes determination and perseverance and you <coughs> kept at it and at it and it finally clicked and you had it. He's telling them, recall the past. Think about what's happened so we don't grow sluggish. Let's turn over to Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 9. It's good advice for us as well to think about the past. You know, sometimes we are exhorted to, to write down the things we're thankful for, write down the, the, the blessings that we've had. Maybe from time to time it's good to catalog the spiritual breakthroughs that God has led us through in our life. You know, those are encouraging. When we feel like, you know, I'm not really going anywhere, to look back and say, yeah, look how God has moved in my life in the past. And he'll do it again. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 9 He says, but beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation, though we speak in this manner. God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you've shown toward his name and that you've ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end, that you do not become sluggish. But imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. You know, when I was (coughs) growing up, a teen, I loved to play baseball. 
And I had this recurring dream from time to time. The dream was that I was playing a game of baseball and I I hit the ball and I ran to first and I was rounding first and I was between first base and second base and suddenly it just seemed like things started going in slow motion. And it was like I was running through wet concrete or molasses or mud and I just couldn't get my feet out of the mud and I was trying to run and trying so hard but the harder I tried the sluggisher I got and of course I got thrown out a second and I was out and I would have this dream over and over and over again brethren do you ever feel sluggish you know we all do from time to time And we all need a breakthrough from time to time. So where do we start? Where do we start? How do we do it? Let's talk about that in the remaining time we have. Several keys to achieving spiritual breakthroughs. Number one, number one, look for what's holding you back. Look for what's holding you back. If you feel like you're going in circles Sometimes we need to examine ourselves and try to discern what is holding me back. Maybe I've been driven by ego and and vanity. Maybe I'm refusing to let go of my way in a certain matter with a spouse, with a family member. Maybe I'm always digging in and, and as young people, maybe, you know, in arguments with your siblings. Do you always have to be right? Do you have the the motto, don't confuse me with the facts, my mind has been made up? Is that how we approach life, you know? If we do, we will get in a cycle and we'll stagnate. We get in a habit. Vanity puffs up. It'll short-circuit our ability to move forward. Maybe we're depressed. Maybe we're exhausted physically and emotionally because of the problems that just don't go away. But maybe we're also then falling into negative self-talk. I'll never do it. I'll never make it. I can't do it. I'll never amount to anything. You know, I remember my dad saying when we were growing up one time, Talking about worries and fears and facing the future, he said, don't take counsel of your fears. Don't take counsel of your fears. We can, we can get into negative self-talk if we're not careful, can't we? And those become our constant companions. <clears throat> and we get in this cycle of negativity. What if it's deep, unresolved hurt? Is there something bugging me that I need to address and face and deal with. Someone who's hurt me, and I don't want to admit it, but I can't let it go. You know, this is not just the kids that have to deal with this. As adults, we get our feelings hurt, don't we? We may not show it as easily. We may not show it on our face as much. We learn to hide it as we get older. But things still hurt. It stings. 
when someone's inconsiderate. We can't let it fester. Unforgiveness can put us on an endless loop that goes around and around and around and never stops. You know, Mr. James Hart, a few, a couple of months ago, uh, gave a speech in Graduate Club here. He talked about a, a, an associate he has, a client, a friend, who um, was a Holocaust survivor and wrote a book called The Last Sunrise, a true story. <clears throat> His name is Harold Gordon. He was 10 years old. He was living in Grodno, Poland, when the Germans invaded. He saw horrific things. He lost his mother, he lost his brother, and other family members. 20,000 people in that city were, were lost. And he was one of the only survivors. And he talks about, because early in the story he was thinking about, I'm going to get revenge, I'm going to, to kill Germans, I'm going to find a way to pay them back for all of what they've done to me and my family. But toward the back of the book, he says, You know, I searched my soul since my liberation, May 5th, 1945. Why me? For what reason had God chosen me, the youngest known survivor of the Holocaust from my city of 20,000 Jews? The answers came to me in a dream one night, like a bolt of blue-white lightning. Split open the most inner part of my subconscious that had remained deliberately locked for so many years. It was clear to me as the bluest waters. I was almost angry with myself for not seeing the answer sooner. I was saved to tell the story for all who were silenced by death and torture, gassed and burned and can speak no more. I was spared to let go of anger and hatred and resentment to help others do the same so people could live a more productive and satisfying life in the future. I feel compelled to give charity and understanding to those who have not yet been able to find it in their hearts to set aside injustice, wrongdoings, hurts, infringements, and violations done to them in the past, to be a light unto the nations, as it says in the Bible, so that the world may learn through my heartaches and triumphs. You know, if even a Holocaust survivor who saw horrific anger, horrific, horrific hatred, brutality, callousness can forgive, what about us, brethren? What about us? Or are we locked into a never-ending loop of unforgiveness? Maybe it's sin that is locking us up, something we've not dealt with. Again, something we do in private, no one else knows about it. If it's happening, you need a breakthrough. You need a breakthrough. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. The point is we need to be willing to look. If we're locked up, we need to be willing to look. What's holding me back from having a breakthrough in my life? Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. 
Paul writes, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We are running a race. And you know, when you're running a race, you can't carry any extra burden. Negative emotions and unforgiveness and fear and sin that has not been processed and dealt with and, and faced slows us down and may stop us entirely. You know, sometimes there's just no major issue. It just may be that we're getting in a Laodicean mindset. I've got what I need. I've got food on the table. I have the truth. I have the church. I have the work. I've got a job. I'm alive. But I'm not going anywhere. What about you? What about you? Do you have the courage to look at yourself? And that's what God has called us to do. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 11. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 11. Is there something I'm doing wrong that's holding me back in life, that's holding me back from overcoming or breaking out of some pattern that is not good for me? Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11, he says, Let us therefore be diligent to enter the rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. For the word of God, this book, this Bible that we have, is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Powerful. When we really drink in of God's Word and and let it correct us, as Mr. Weston brought out a few weeks ago, there's no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So we can't hide from God. We can't run from God. Is there something we're not facing? That's number one. What's holding me back? Number two. Number two, if we need a spiritual breakthrough. Number two, keep on doing what's right. Keep on doing what's right. If we're getting into a Laodicean loop, if we're getting complacent, if we're getting where we feel more and more distant from God, you know, that in itself can discourage us from praying, discourage us from studying, because we feel cut off. We feel distant. We don't feel like He is close to us. We're not feeling close to Him. And the very fact that we draw back from Him exacerbates the problem. But what does Paul tell the Hebrews? Hebrews chapter 13. 
We find a lot of things in the book of Hebrews about this issue, don't we? Isn't it interesting? It's full of admonishments for us. Because, you know, in many ways we are in a similar situation to that generation just before the destruction of the temple. We have, we are a part of the church that has been hearing the warnings and hearing the promises and hearing about Christ coming back for however long we've been a part of the church. And we're living in the age of complacency, the last era of the church. So we need what is here for us. Paul said in Hebrews 13, verse 1, Let brotherly love continue. After all of the other admonishments, he said, Look, there are some things that you need to keep doing even while you're figuring out how to get out of the rut. Keep showing brotherly love. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing some, by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. You know, keep serving. Keep our minds on others. Remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Don't fall into the traps. Don't fall into the the tricks and the deceits of the devil that have to do with sexual sins, he said. Let your conduct be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. (coughs) Very important. And as we get or when we get in a spiritual funk, to remember to keep doing the right things. Because those things are what helps to get us out. You know, sometimes we just don't feel like it. <clears throat> you know, we are living in a generation more and more that is all about feelings. Isn't it true? In Western culture, if something doesn't feel good to me, why should I do it? Too many people in our world today get out of marriage. Why? Because they don't feel love anymore. Never mind the promise they made. Never mind the vow they made. Never mind they said they would love their mate no matter what. If you don't feel like it, then you're not in love anymore, is the way the logic goes. Too many people in mainstream Christianity go to church based on feelings. If they like tradition, A traditional church gives them good feelings. If they like music and the clapping, they go there because it gives them good feelings. Young people, again, this world is bombarding you with this message that if it's not good for your feelings, it's not good for you. And yet, you know, sometimes we have to do things that we don't feel like doing. Our feelings will lead us astray. We cannot trust our feelings. And that's the problem when we get in a rut. Sometimes we don't feel like doing the right things, do we? And the world says, hey, if you don't feel like it, then that's not reality for you. That's not good for you. That is a lie. 
That is a lie. Parents, work with, we must work with our children to nudge them to do the right thing even when they don't feel like it. That's a powerful, powerful skill in this day and age. It will take them far. You know, one of the pieces of advice that we hear for those who are mourning a loss of a mate, a family member, a close family member, is to make yourself do every day the normal things of life, right? To stay engaged in life. To go to the store. To go to the family get-together. To go to the post office. To interact with people. Why? Because when you're in mourning, you can get locked into your shell and pull away from others. Brethren, when we are suffering, when we're in the endless loop, when we're frustrated, when we're depressed, we must not pull back from God, must not pull back from studying, from talking to Him. That's when we need it more. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9 says, Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. But we have to keep doing the things we know we need to do. Number three, number three, in working for a spiritual breakthrough, number three, not only do the things that we know we need to do, sometimes we need to try something different. Try something different. You know, if you're in a rut, sometimes we just need to break out of that rut. For example, if we're having problems with our mate, not speaking from personal experience, mind you, you know. <laughs> just theory, just theory. You know, if, if we are not communicating in a positive way, in a good way, in a functional way, we need to figure out what's the cycle and what can we do differently because the pattern is not constructive that we're locked in. There's a writer who... Uh, talks about this, uh, Michelle Weiner Davis, in her book, Divorce Busting, uh, talks about some very practical advice. Um, but in one, one example, she is explaining how one couple she was working with, they'd gotten into a very negative pattern of communication. He would come home from his job, complain about his work, his boss, the coworkers. She, as a fix-it person would jump in and give advice. He'd get annoyed with her advice. She'd get annoyed because he was annoyed. And off they would go, and there was a big argument. And they'd repeat this cycle over and over and over again. So the counselor told her, try something different. Do something different. This is how it went. She says, I was in the kitchen preparing dinner when he came in from work. I forced myself to keep cooking when he sat down by the counter. I resisted the urge to ask him about his day, but he started telling me about it anyway. As he complained, I said, oh, really? Or, I see, but gave no advice whatsoever. It took a lot of self-control. He talked for a long time, and I kept saying, "Uh uh-huh. All of a sudden, he said, and then I took a boat to Bermuda. 
I lifted my head and said, what did that mean? To which he responded, I just wanted to see if you were listening. I couldn't tell if you've been hearing me. She reassured him that she had heard every word and they ended up having a very pleasant evening together. Furthermore, their week went unusually well. Now, notice several things. She had to consciously plan out how she was going to respond differently. She had to consciously think, what is the trigger that I am making that, 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 that provokes him to respond to me in a certain way, and I have to stop that thing. And then she had to use self-control and putting a, a bit of herself to the side in order to accomplish this. And when she changed that one thing, he noticed it right away. In fact, he told her something shocking about Bermuda just because he couldn't believe that she was actually listening. But you notice also that it had a ripple effect on the whole tone of the conversation. And then on that whole evening. And then on that whole week. Would you say that was a breakthrough for her? Brethren, maybe we need a breakthrough in our relationships and how they work. Maybe we are just continuing negative patterns as husband or wife or children and parents or parents to children or brothers in the church, brothers and sisters or co-workers. Maybe that's where we need a breakthrough. Sometimes it's just necessary to try something different. The writer goes on and she says, any change might do as long as it's different enough for your spouse to notice. Be creative. Use your imagination. The single guideline is the next time you get into the situation where you feel tempted to do the same old thing, do something different. It's important to point out that doing something different usually requires a good deal of self-control. When provoked, it's tempting to respond in the same old way because that usual way of handling the situation has become a habit, a habit now needing to be broken. Isn't that true for spiritual ruts as well? Let's turn over to Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 12. (coughs) Mr. Dawson uh, read this. I think it's kind of interesting. We're going to read it again. Have an interesting parallel between the sermonette and the sermon today. And we didn't even talk about this before. It says in verse 12, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of of sin. For we become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. You know, maybe we need a change to break out of a spiritual rut. Maybe we've got into patterns that have hardened, that have hardened 
and are dragging us down. If so, it's time to do something different. It's time to break the pattern. You know, sometimes one little change, even a physical change, can have a tremendous ripple effect and even produce leverage, let's say, produce multiple good benefits. Something as basic as getting enough sleep. Have you ever thought about that? You know, think about the, the benefits of getting enough sleep. You're more alert and awake. You have better digestion, better metabolism. Your health improves. Better prayer and study in the morning, right, when you're actually awake and alert. Handle stress better. Your cortisol levels go down, the stress hormone. Everyone around you gets less grouchy. Have you ever noticed that? When you get more sleep, it's amazing how everyone else around you is in a better mood. It's like a miracle. Think about it. You know, sometimes a little change might reap big benefits. What about less TV? What about eating healthier? What about a little bit more exercise? What about not dwelling on negative things? How many positive effects spiritually can come from a little change in our life? The point is, if we're not getting good results, if we're locked in some endless loops, we need to try something different. Number four. Number four. We also need to focus on growth, not perfection. Focus on growth, not perfection. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 1. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 1. He says, Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. This we will do if God permits. This word perfection, we've heard this many, many times, but it's the word teleotes, which means essentially the process of becoming complete and mature. The uh, HELPS Word Studies from ScriptureText.com website describes it this way. This teleotes, this feminine noun, is uh, defined as completion or consummation in its cumulative sense, i.e. built on what has to precede and also supports the stage that must come next. In other words, when he's talking about perfection, he's saying we need to build on, put the bricks building bricks on what we've done already, and we need to prepare for what's going to come next. It's not the, the sort of Western perfectionism idea we have. It's about growth. It's about going forward. But if we un- misunderstand it, and if we think, you know, if I'm not perfect, if I'm not good enough, If I get stuck in a loop, I'm ashamed of even letting God know that I'm stuck in that loop. And it can hold us back. 
and we don't want to face it. But notice how he compares it to plants and crops that grow. Verse 7, For the earth which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it and bears herbs, useful for those by whom it is cultivated, receives blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected and near to being cursed, whose end is to be burned. So he's contrasting, you know, being blessed and being being those that are going to enter eternal life or those who turn away from God and are burned up. We don't want to reject God. We don't want to drift from God. But at the same time, God is not quick to pounce on us if we make mistakes. What is he focused on? Growth. Growth. Have you ever seen a time lapse of a seed which is, which is sprouting and growing? <clears throat> it's really interesting. The seed first is intact, and as it receives water and nutrients, suddenly it, it bursts open. There's a breakthrough, and the sprout comes out. And now that sprout is unfolding and, and, and spreading and if there's dirt up on top of it, it's pushing, it's pushing, it's pushing. And finally what? It breaks through the dirt. Now, if we would see and just sit down and watch a seed in real time, it would look like it's doing nothing, right? Like nothing's happening. It's not moving. When was the last time you looked at your plants or your garden? Or your trees, you walk out, they're not moving, right? You can't see them growing, but they are growing. They are growing. The same thing is true for our our life. We can't often see the growth if we look with a microscope. But if we look at the long term, we're going to see growth. And we also will see periods of breakthrough when God helps us to overcome an obstacle. Think about how how strong that seed and that plant must be to push through an inch or two or whatever of, of, of ground. And it's just a seed. James says in James chapter 5, verse 7, Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. We are in the time now of the growing season. Mr. Mario Hernandez some years ago gave the the sermon, early rain and planting season. He talked about the early rain and the latter rain. He talked about the winter growing season. That's what we're in now. You look around, you're going to see some of the fields that have been cultivated and planted, and now there are sprouts of of crops coming up just a couple of inches. Brethren, we are in the, the growing season right now. Let's focus on not perfectionism, but let's focus on growth. 
That helps us to get out of the endless loops. Number five, number five. Let's also get perspective. Get perspective. What is this life for? Why are we alive? If not to train and prepare for God's kingdom and to qualify for it and to help others do the same thing. Think about where you are right now in life and the challenges you are facing, the choices you're facing. They might be big. They might be little. It might be regarding a sin that you need to overcome. It might just be breaking out of a rut or a pattern or dealing with something you can't change and you have to just have patience in. Whatever it is, If there's one thing that you need to address in your life right now and you need a spiritual breakthrough, think about that. You know, God knows. He's our trainer. He's watching. He's waiting. He's waiting to see the tipping point in your and my life. Remember what he said to Abraham when Abraham was about to sacrifice Isaac? And at the last possible moment, he said, Abraham, stop. Now I know that you fear me and you will do my will. Since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Brethren, when will we reach that point in our life? Is there a point in our life when God says to to you, to me, now I know? When will that point be? Could it be when we overcome whatever we're dealing with right now? You know, it might be. This might be it. Whatever challenge we are facing, big or small, of many different degrees, you know, we may not have 10 or 20 or 30 years to grow. This might be it. Morgan Montgomery died this past summer, a couple of weeks after she was baptized. You know, apparently God felt like she ran her race. And for whatever reason, allowed her to die. <clears throat> felt like there was, there was good that would come from it. But you know, we are not guaranteed another 10 or 20 or 30 years or even another day. Is whatever we're facing right now the tipping point? that God is looking for and God is waiting for to see how we respond. Hebrews chapter 10. Are we going to go forward? Are we going to, to step out in faith? Are we going to go all out and asking for his help? Or are we going to draw back? Are we going to think now's not the time? I don't have to deal with this yet. Hebrews 10.35 Paul said, therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. 
For you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. The test or the challenge that you and I are facing right now might be the tipping point in our life that God is waiting for us to go through. You know, there's a, there's a poem that I'm sure most of you have <clears throat> read or seen before, but it's called Don't Quit. And I'd like to read it because I think there's, there's a lot of truth to this. <clears throat> it's an anonymous author. It says, when things go wrong as they sometimes will, when the road you're trudging seems all uphill, when funds are low, debts are high, and you want to smile, but you have to sigh, when care is pressing you down a bit, rest if you must, but don't quit. Life is queer with its twists and turns, as every one of us sometimes learns, and many a failure turns about when he might have won had he stuck it out. Don't give up, though the pace seems slow, you might succeed with another blow. How do we know if the next blow might be the tipping point? Often the goal is nearer than it seems to a faint and faltering man. Often the struggler is given up when he might have captured the victor's cup, and he learned too late when the night slipped down how close he was To the golden crown, success is failure turned inside out. The silver tent to the clouds of doubt. And you can never know how close you are. It may be near when it seems afar. So stick to the fight when your heart is hit. It's when things seem worse that you mustn't quit. It's when things seem darkest, brethren, that we absolutely must keep perspective of why we're here, that we are here to learn lessons to prepare for God's kingdom, and that's the sum total of it. You know, we have some fantastic examples of those who have gone before who have set this example, Mrs. Annie Durham, whose funeral was this morning. 82 years old, wonderful lady, servant of God. She's run her race. She finished her race. And if we, we have many other elders here, elderly people, who are facing their challenges, even in a time of life when, you know, life is not as fun. As you get older and as things get more difficult and you can't do the same things that you could before. But they face growing old with with courage and with dignity and continuing to learn and continuing to have spiritual breakthroughs. And it's encouraging to the rest of us, isn't it? 
We've got to keep perspective. That's what helps us to have the motivation to get over the next hill. Number six, the last one. Number six, we've got to also get help. We've got to be willing to get help. I remember when I was a teenager and and in um, geometry class, I had done pretty well in in other math class and I classes and I did well. I liked them. Not a not a huge strength of mine, but I did fine in math. And then I came to geometry, and I'm telling you, it was humbling. I just could not cracked the code it didn't make sense to me I, I it just i didn't i didn't get the concept it, it was foreign i didn't understand it and months went by and finally out of desperation i asked for help from my brother peter yeah it takes a lot to ask for your sibling for help right <clears throat> and he sat down with me one evening and And he explained, and he explained, and I was frustrated, and I was confused, and he kept explaining. He tried to explain a different way, and a different way, and a different way. And all of a sudden, it clicked. All of a sudden, it made sense. Yeah, now I see it. Now I understand it. Now it works. Now the the lights open. You know, the heavens have opened. I understand geometry. But if I hadn't been willing to, you know, sort of put my ego aside and ask for help. You know, we have in our culture a strong do-it-yourself mentality. That I can do it myself. I don't need to ask for help. That it's almost a shame to admit we don't know something. But brethren, how can we possibly be the experts at everything? How can we even be moderately competent at everything? (laughs) There's only so much time in a day. And we need help. We also live in a society when we compare ourselves with one another. You know, you can always see someone else who's doing better than you on Facebook, right? Why? Because they're putting their best foot forward. But they're probably feeling the same way we are. Inadequate. Needs help. Feel like everyone else has it together. We're all human. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, Paul wrote, For we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves, But they measuring themselves by themselves are not wise. We must not get into the comparing. I'm better than you or I'm worse than you. I'm superior or I'm inferior. Because you know what? We need each other. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24. Hebrews 10 verse 24. Why has God given us a church community to be with every week? given us structure, given us an apparatus to live within and thrive within and grow within. 
if not to be a resource from which we derive strength and help in time of need. And, of course, as a part of doing the work in, 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 in letting the world know about this way of life as well. Hebrews 10.24, and he says, Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking, forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now, I know I'm speaking to the choir here because you're all here. This is saying, come to Sabbath services, and you came. So, Fantastic. But, you know, let us make it a priority to be here because God is here. His spirit is here. Christ is here. He's the head of the church. And this is where we get the encouragement to go forward. This is where we get the inspiration to overcome and to move. We need to be here and we need each other. We need you children. We need the elderly. We need the families with children. We need the singles. You have something to contribute to the body. We need you. Not to poke at each other, you know, as as Mr. Dawson mentioned. Not to rail on each other when we have faults, but to help each other. We need the ministry too. Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 7. Again, this is in the context of getting help, being willing to get help. <coughs> to break out of spiritual malaise. Hebrews 13, 7. Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. Verse 17, obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls. They are watching out for our lives. You know, that's a heavy burden that they carry. As those who must give account, let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. God has given us the church so that we might grow. There's another level of, of obtaining help, and that's the most important of all. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 10. That is the captain of our salvation. That is Jesus Christ. That is the one about whom this whole book is talking about. Not an academic treatise, not an intellectual exercise, but the one who came and gave his life for us so that we might do what? Be able to overcome. Hebrews 2 and verse 10, For it was fitting for him for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. What a powerful statement that Jesus Christ who owns everything, who made the universe under the Father, who has all power, who's been given all authority in heaven and earth, and yet he's not ashamed to call you and me his brothers and sisters. 
You know, that's the key. He's the key to really achieving spiritual breakthroughs. It starts with a personal relationship with him. Notice in verse 14, Inasmuch as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For indeed, he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Who is our helper? Who's the one that we cry out to for help? Yes, each other. Yes, the ministry. But ultimately, who is the one we need on our side, brethren? Or rather, we need to get on his side. Our Savior. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of his people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Are we tapping into that power, brethren? Our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, Dr. Meredith has encouraged us to pray for breakthroughs for the church. For the Holy Spirit to be poured out more powerfully for the church. But how does that happen? Where does that start? Individually, on our knees, in a personal relationship with God and our elder brother Jesus Christ. Each one of us. No other way. It's not intellectual, it's not academic. It's a relationship. If you're locked in an endless loop, how is your relationship with your Savior, brethren? Are you walking with Him? Are we allowing Him to live His life in us? Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14. He says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. He's not ready to crack our skulls. He's not ready to correct us unless we need to have a gentle redirection. He sympathizes with our frailties. He understands. Hebrews 7.24, it says, He continues forever and has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, He is able also to save to the uttermost those who come to God through Him since He always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus Christ, as His motivation for, for living for eternally, He ever lives, He always lives to make intercession for us, to be our advocate, to help us, to give us every possible ability and and aid to making it. So what's holding us back, brethren? Is there something that you and I need to change? Is there a, a gorilla in the corner, so to speak, in our life that we're trying to ignore, but we need to change? Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 13. Hebrews 9 and verse 
<laughs> 13, for if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Doesn't that sound like getting out of a rut and forming a new way of walking in a new path? Doesn't that sound like leaving something behind and going forward? What a tremendous blessing we have to have such a God and such a Savior on our side as we walk through this life. Hebrews 10 and verse 19. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. We are able to go before the Holy of Holies. Why? Because Christ did first. We are able to approach the Father The God who created all through Jesus Christ. Why? Because we go in the name of Jesus Christ. You know, we we, we say that at the end of our prayers. In the name of Jesus Christ. Let that never become just rote. But every time we approach the Father, we're doing it because of right here. Because our elder brother did it first. By giving his life. By giving his life. So let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, a new way, breaking out of the old paths, the old patterns, the old cycles. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. We will get into endless loops sometime, like that computer program that I learned many years ago and never progressed past that. We will get hurt feelings. We will get unforgiving sometimes. We will be filled with vanity and pride and won't want to admit it, and we will sin. But brethren, let that endless loop not become our identity. God has called us to be overcomers, to constantly seek for the new and living way. Let's identify the things that hold us back. Let's continue doing the things we know we need to do even while we struggle with trials and difficulties. Let's not be afraid of trying new things and new patterns and putting away the old. Let's focus on growth and not perfectionism. Let's keep perspective of why we're here and what God is accomplishing and waiting for the I now know moment, the tipping point. And let's not be afraid or ashamed to ask for help in time of need, especially from our Savior, the one who is there and one who 
advocates on our behalf. We need a spiritual breakthrough. We need to have continual spiritual breakthroughs. And with God's help and Christ's personal direction in our lives, we can do it. Again, brethren, do you need a spiritual breakthrough?